Okay, we're in the, going through the Old Testament. We're up to 1 Kings chapter 18 is where we were last time. You working in there still? Rich. Is his name Larry? Larry. Okay. Hi, Larry. <coughs> Excuse me. We got a shout out here to somebody that's watching us here. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> got me too excited. <coughs> First Kings chapter 18. Last time we ended with the Lord holding back the rain in the northern kingdom for three years. So there was quite a drought that was going on and all that was because of the disobedience of the northern kingdom. They had forsaken the true God of Israel and now they were worshiping Baal, a false god there. So their lack of repentance brought this judgment against them where they were not getting rain. And it, of course, brought drought with that, and there was a famine going on and hard times getting food in an agricultural area like that. So during this time, as you may recall, the Lord was working through his prophet Elijah. And we're going to see him again in our passage today as we go further. So let's jump back into 1 Kings chapter 18. So we get in here. Verse 1, it says, It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Remember, he was hiding out there and the Lord was protecting him during this time where he had made the announcement to King Ahab there would be no rain. So after many days here, the Lord tells us a time sequence on this. It's in the third year. So it's been quite a while with no rain. And the Lord said to Elijah here, he said, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So we see here a promise from God where the Lord says, I'm going to send rain. I mean, the Lord had said the rain will stop, and it did. And now the Lord gave a promise here uh, straight to Elijah that he's supposed to pass on that he is going to send rain. We also get a command here from the Lord where the Lord has told Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab. You're supposed to go and talk to him again. So verse 2, so Elijah went. He went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And uh, here we see the obedience of Elijah. He did just what the Lord told him. But in the same place, we see the consequences for disobedience. Since the northern kingdom didn't obey the Lord, there's a severe famine going on in Samaria, which was the capital city, remember, again, of the northern kingdom. Verse 3, it says that Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house, now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And we met this guy last time, Obadiah, as we were reading through these first few verses here. And he's a, a very impressive guy. Here he is under a wicked ruler, Ahab, and yet he had a very healthy fear of the Lord. Uh, and the Lord shows us in the next verse how brave he is in actually following the Lord, that he would even go against his own government if he had to. But before we read that verse, I want us to to catch something, I don't want us to miss the encouragement the Lord has for us right here. God shows us that we can still follow him and serve him, even if our culture and our government get as wicked as can be. And Obadiah is a good example for us there. Now, I know there are times when we might be thinking, you know, what, am we, what are we going to do if the government outlaws Christianity and even gets worse than we're seeing right now? But you know what? 
we're going to find out that we can trust the Lord during those times. We can serve the Lord. We can serve God's people. The Lord will open opportunities. Uh, we just need to trust him when that time comes, if and when the time comes. So we've got people like Obadiah here who show us it can be done. It's a real encouragement. Verse 4 says, For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. So this evil woman, Jezebel, she was trying to completely wipe out any worship for the God of Israel. But the Lord wasn't going to let that happen. He already had this man, Obadiah, in place to protect those 100 prophets. That's a lot of folks. When they're all got the word of the Lord there, that's, that's a pretty good group. So, see, we don't have to worry uh, that this world's ever going to be able to wipe out Christianity. They'll try. <laughs> but you know what? As we've seen in the past, when persecution comes against the true church, it ends up growing. You know, even if it has to move underground, the Lord still keeps the church alive and growing. So we don't have to worry about that. The Lord has people in place already, too, in order to keep things going. He's going to keep the truth of his word out there, and we don't have to worry about that. And I was thinking as we prayed for our government this morning that the Lord has Christians sprinkled throughout our government, just like the military. We thank the Lord for the military, too, and uh, the Lord has people that are believers sprinkled throughout that, uh, that arena. So we praise the Lord, you know. He's got things in place. He's going to hold his truth there, whether this world likes it or the enemy likes it or people like it or not. His truth will continue to go on. And hopefully, you know, you and I are part of that process. Hopefully, he's got us sprinkled in different areas where we take the word of God and we hold on to that truth. We mentioned last time, too, that Obadiah's name means worshiper of Yahweh, our servant of Yahweh. And uh, it's cool how he actually made both of these true in his life. It's pretty cool. Verse 5, and Ahab had said to Obadiah, go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. We mentioned last time that Ahab cared more about his animals than he did about people. <laughs> so that shows pretty much where he's at. But, you know, I'm sure as Ahab had this thought come to mind of, you know what, I think I'm going to take Obadiah and we're going to go split this land up. I'm pretty sure he thought that was his own idea, you know. But it was the Lord who put that thought in his mind. And that's really cool. The Lord was setting the situation up so that Obadiah was going to run right into Elijah the prophet. So uh, it's cool to see the Lord work like that. And by the way, the Lord works pretty subtle that way a lot of times. There are times he puts thoughts in our mind that we're not even aware of the Lord's moving us and giving us directions to go and everything else, you know. Uh, kind of like that cool testimony Rich had. Here he is standing there giving the gospel out, not knowing that the Lord was going to have this very guy stand next to him who was so hungry to get, get right with God and get saved. And the Lord set all that up. And that, that day the guy might have thought, I'm going to take the train and go for a ride, I guess, somewhere. And, and Rich had said even they had a few setbacks. They weren't going to be there at that time. So the Lord sets stuff up, and it's very subtle a lot of times, very natural. We don't even realize the Lord's doing that kind of stuff. But he's always working. It's pretty cool. So verse 7, now as Obadiah was on his way, so he's doing what he was ordered to do, suddenly Elijah met him 
And he recognized him, and he fell on his face, and he said, is that you, my Lord, Elijah? I mean, this guy is the hidden celebrity, Elijah. You know, Ahab's looking for this guy with a huge wanted poster everywhere. And lo and behold, Obadiah runs right smack into him, and he recognizes him. So uh, he humbles himself, and that's so cool to see. I mean, look at the humbleness and the respect that Obadiah has here. You, you don't want to miss that about this guy. Don't you enjoy it when, when the Lord shows us a guy like this, and he just tells us a little bit about his life, but you can kind of picture this guy. You can say, wow, this is a, this is a good guy, you know? And, and that's, that's really neat. I'm thankful the Lord lets us see people and uh, lets us see what they're really like here. So verse 8 goes on. And he answered him, so here's Elijah going to respond to that. It is I. Go tell your master Elijah is here. Now these are pretty simple words that Elijah is speaking and his message is very clear. <laughs> but these words are going to evoke tremendous fear in Obadiah. Because <laughs> all he said was, yep, it's me. Go tell your boss I'm here. <laughs> and you think that's not a big deal. But look what happens here in verse 9. So he said... How have I sinned? <laughs> Obadiah is starting to shake in his sandals here. How have I sinned that you were delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? He's thinking, if I take that message, I'm going to die. And he explains what's going on. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. So Obadiah, he's fearing for his own life at this point because he knows firsthand how serious Ahab was searching for Elijah because of the drought that Elijah brought on by his prayers. It looked like he's the one that pushed the button. Really, the Lord was working through Elijah. But now Elijah's the one who's the hunted man. And Obadiah, he really doesn't want to get involved with this. So he knew it wasn't enough even for Ahab to accept it when a nation said they hadn't seen him. King Ahab made them take an oath to confirm it. Whoa. So he knows this guy's intense. I don't want to mention your name in front of this guy. Okay. So that's how determined he was to find Elijah. Now, isn't it funny, you know, that wicked people and liars don't trust other people. <laughs> they act as though they think everybody else is wicked and lying too. It's kind of funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of like you're going to reap what you sow, huh? <laughs> so verse 11, and now you can say, uh, go tell your master Elijah is here. So uh, uh, it goes on to verse 12, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you. He said, you're telling me I'm just supposed to go tell him this, but as soon as I leave, he's saying, the spirit of the Lord is going to carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he's going to kill me. So he explains his reasoning. And Obadiah was afraid, you know, if I take this message to Ahab and Ahab's going to come back here and you're not going to be here because the spirit of the Lord is going to move you somewhere to protect you. Uh, after he's gone and you're nowhere to be found, he figured that Ahab would have him killed for letting Elijah get away. You know, saying you were right there with him and you let him escape. So uh, he knows how ruthless Ahab was. So you can sense the fear going on inside of him. But Obadiah, he didn't know God's plan at this time. You know, he figured the Lord was still wanting Elijah to hide, and he's still going to protect Elijah. So he didn't think Elijah is going to even be there once he comes back 
with King Ahab to that location. Oh, but I didn't know that the Lord was now bringing Elijah out of hiding to come and to confront King Ahab, another step in Elijah's life. And Obadiah was not aware of that. So Obadiah here, he kind of continues to plead his case to try to avoid having to tell Ahab that he has seen Elijah. Look at the rest of verse 12. At the very end, he says, but I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. <laughs> so he said, I'm a really good guy. You don't want to do this to me. He said, was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. He's like, no, this is serious, you know. So Obadiah is kind of pleading by using the past history of his following the Lord and basically saying, you know, that's a really good reason why I shouldn't be the one to go tell the news of your whereabouts to King Ahab. I guess he's trying to say, look, I'm serving the Lord best I can. I can keep doing that if you don't get me killed here. So he's, he's trying to use that as a good reason to not have to do this. So I believe the Lord allowed this to happen, though, so we could see that even in this dark culture, the Lord had a faithful servant like Obadiah. He's got servants that are around. They were faithful even in their youth all the way up to their adulthood. And that's what he's saying here. I've served the Lord from when I was young all the way to now. I'm still serving the Lord. We wouldn't have known that had he not had this fear and, and try to pour all this out, you know. So again, it's really cool when the Lord gets that information out for us to see and we can really appreciate God has people. He's got a remnant. They may not be in one spot. They might be spread around different places, but they're faithful to the Lord. They've got a heart for God, and it's really awesome to see. So verse 15, it says, Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Elijah, he's calming his concerns by assuring him that before this day is over, I will be standing in the presence of Ahab. You don't have to worry about that. And he, he wasn't leaving it and, and saying he's going to be, I'm not going to be gone, I'll be right here. You don't have to fear that one. And by saying it this way, he's kind of letting nobody know this, that I'm doing this with the Lord's backing. You know, I, he said, I stand in the presence of the Lord. I didn't come up with this on my own. Uh, that's why Elijah tells him that I, I'm standing in the Lord's presence. So he's not doing this of his own thinking. He's actually relying on the Lord and following the Lord's lead. You know, it's good for us, too, to let people know when we do things that we are doing them under the direction of the Lord. I mean, it's all for his glory anyway, right? So just tell folks, you know, when, when you're doing something and somebody wants to look at you and say, hey, what about you're doing a good job there? You say, well, this is the Lord doing this stuff. It's all for his glory. You know, we're not going to hold on to any of that stuff anyway. So go on here to verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, and he told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? <laughs> Isn't it ironic that people will blame others for the mess that they cause themselves? <laughs> you know, because this is what's going on right here. Man's arrogant pride is so despicable at times like that, 
This guy is a really wicked guy. He brought all this stuff going on. He did all that himself. He pushed all the buttons, you know. And now he's going to point his finger at Elijah and try to say, you're the, you're the bum who did this. Come on. You know, Pastor Chuck Smith, he told a story about a lady that came to his church one time when he was pastoring a long time ago. And Pastor Chuck, he went to her home and was going to meet her husband and stuff because she came by herself. And he was just going to do a, a home visit there and see how things were. When he knocked on the door, the lady's husband, who was a captain in the, the Air Force, he came to the door and Chuck introduced himself and told him, you know, your wife was at church last week, so I just wanted to come and meet you all. And as soon as he said that, the guy started cussing him out. <laughs> He's like, you don't even know me, <laughs> you know, cussing him out here. But he said that this guy said he had just been told by a doctor that week that his young daughter had polio. And Pastor Chuck said he knew that they already had a son that had polio as well. So this guy just got madder still thinking about it, and he started cussing at Chuck again. And uh, he said that any God who would let this kind of thing happen, I don't want anything to do with him, and I don't want anything to do with anybody that has something to do with a God like that. So he was just very, very upset. But Pastor Chuck said to him, well, let me ask you, have you been serving the Lord? And he said the guy got really mad when he asked that question, you know. But Chuck continued and he said, well, well, answer me this. If you've been ignoring God and not wanting to do anything with him, then why would you think that God should take care of your children? You know, he said, what would make you think that God owes you anything? You know, and he said the guy got real quiet. But Chuck said, I didn't go in. <laughs> he still didn't, didn't go in that, didn't cross that line. But, you know, that approach makes sense because people live a life without God and then they try to blame God when things don't go their way. I mean, you hear that a lot. I hear that talking to people. And it really doesn't make logical sense when you think it through, you know. Well, that's what King Ahab was trying to do here. But Elijah is going to call him on that too. You look at verse 18. He answered, so here's Elijah talking to King Ahab now. He says, I have not troubled Israel. But you and your father's house have. And he says, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals, the Baals, uh, thy false god they worship. So Elijah bravely puts the blame where it is due. And he gave very specific reasons as to how and what Ahab had done to cause his own troubles. And that's probably a good thing to do when someone's causing problems like that themselves. Maybe they are blind to it. Might need to be pointed out to them, you know. So he said that Ahab and his father's house had done two things here. One, they had forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Now, they knew God's commandments. They just didn't want them. And secondly, he said they both chose to follow the Baals instead of Yahweh. So they had intentionally gone after false gods. What an insult to the Lord, you know, that they would rather have wicked gods to worship rather than the true God, the good God, the one who loves them and cares about them. And that's the same choice that the world makes, you know, when they knowingly turn away from and reject the Lord's free offer of salvation. Same thing, their same response. Verse 19, now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me. This is Elijah's directions to Ahab. He said, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, so he knows they're still around, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, 
who eat at Jezebel's table. So again, Elijah boldly calls for Ahab to gather Israel along with all the false prophets to come and meet with him. Now, Elijah was closely following the orders of the Lord in all that he's doing here. So he's not coming up with this idea on his own because he knew that he's powerless to do anything without the Lord. And we're going to see that later on in his life. He understands that, okay? But did you notice here how many false and evil prophets there were? 850 of them. Yeah. It amazes me, you know, how some cults, they seem to grow faster than churches, <laughs> But I guess the devil sure knows how to appeal to man's fleshly appetites as well as to man's pride. And that's why it is so important for us to stay humble and pure before the Lord. Because the enemy's looking for openings. He wants to trip us up. And notice how closely Jezebel was to these false prophets. She had them over for dinner all the time. Wow. Wicked lady. Verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. I'm kind of surprised that Ahab didn't just try to kill Elijah here, <laughs> you know, but I think it's in his mind here, he's probably really believing he's going to show Elijah up. And when he does that, Elijah's going to be gone and out of his hair, and he might even think he's going to kill him at the end. But again, the Lord is in control here. He was not going to let Elijah get killed. So I think the Lord is putting these thoughts in Ahab's mind even to protect Elijah as this is going on. Verse 21, Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. So Elijah here, he calls the people on the carpet. He challenges them to make a choice and get off the fence. You know, but the people, they wouldn't even come up with an answer. Pretty clear question, who are you going to follow? You know? So it's kind of funny because the religious leaders, they couldn't come up with an answer either when Jesus put them on the spot and called them to make a choice. Remember when Jesus asked them if it was better to do good or evil on the Sabbath and they wouldn't answer? It's because they were planning to murder Jesus at the same moment, you know? But he called them on the spot, and they were silent, too. It's called conviction. <laughs> Verse 22 goes on. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now we find out later on the Lord's got a lot more prophets out there, right? I mean, he was already told uh, Elbadiah has hit 100 of them here, so there's more people. But he's basically saying, you only see one prophet standing here. All right, you got 450 guys that showed up on the other side here. So he's saying, I'm severely outnumbered, but you know what? I'm making a choice for the true God of Israel. Wow, what an encouragement, what a bold guy here, you know? He knows the truth, he's gonna stand for the truth. So he's got no problem saying, hey, I'm one guy, you got all these folks, but you're going the wrong direction. I'm going the right direction here. Yeah, what an example, huh? Verse 23, therefore, let them give us two bowls, let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. So he's going to tell them, make a sacrifice here. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, 
He is God. <laughs> Pretty simple test, Tom. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. <laughs> so now they're thinking, we got this, you know? Yeah. So there's a test that's being set up now. It's set up to look for supernatural results. They saying, no fire, okay? Put everything else there, but, but don't light it. So he's calling for fire to be brought supernaturally, not by man, but by the true God, okay? And then that supernatural sign is going to let the people decide who the real God was. Amazing here. The people actually responded to this when they gave that answer. So I guess they're thinking, our God, Baal, he's going to have no trouble pulling this one off, okay? I mean, look at the huge number of prophets that were working for him as compared to the single prophet that here is standing for Yahweh, the God of Israel. If you had to make a choice, you'd say, who's the more successful one? Must be Baal, right? Wrong. <laughs> Don't look at that stuff. Verse 25. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bowl for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. So I'm giving you first choice. <laughs> and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bowl which was given them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon saying, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. <laughs> so if your false god doesn't respond, maybe you just need to call louder and make a little more ruckus. Then he might respond. <laughs> right. Verse 27. And so it was at noon, oh, the whole morning's gone now, that Elijah mocked them, and he said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping, and he must be awakened. So Elijah's telling him, maybe you guys aren't shouting loud enough. You know, maybe there's something else going on your God's not hearing right now. So he's encouraging them to just get louder. <laughs> Verse 28. So they cried aloud. They tried that. And they cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. Now, you know, it's a shame when the devil convinces people to do things like cutting themselves. That is never a wise solution. And we know today still the enemy's trying to work on young people and trying to get them to think that this is a solution, this will help you. You need the true God. You need the one who's going to bring the fire. That's the one you need. Forget any, any stupid thing the enemy comes up with. That's so, so sad to see people torturing themselves here. Uh, verse 29 goes on. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. So this is all afternoon that has gone by. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. So another idea that some have is that if you can't prove your false premise, then maybe you just need to add more time. I mean, they took more hours here, and this is a whole day they've been pushing this thing, and nothing, absolutely nothing is happening. So just maybe add some more time. That's why they, they kept adding a little more time to the theory of evolution to try to make it seem plausible. I remember back when I was in grade school, they tried to say that the universe was maybe like 50 million years old, but eventually realized uh, 
there's no way all this complicated stuff could happen in that short amount of time. So we need to add more time. So now it's up to billions and billions of years that we're going to say is the answer, you know. But it's a false thing, and no matter how much time you add to a false thing, guess what? It's still a false thing, you know. So even though these prophets tried all day long, nothing was going to happen for them. I think it's kind of funny that the Lord has the word here, no, three times in this verse alone. You've seen it earlier, but in this verse, there's no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. So it's like, no, 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 nothing's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, so the Lord, is, he's funny at times doing that stuff. Verse 30, <clears throat> then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And he's not being sarcastic, I think he's trying to, draw the people to the Lord here. He says, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he, re he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Now, boy, that speaks volumes in itself. The altar of the Lord was broken down. And how was that working for him? They were in a severe drought for three years. So simple math and some common sense should have helped out there, but the people aren't making the connection. And you know, we see the same thing today. People are having difficult situations in their life and they're not seeing any ray of hope because they don't walk with the Lord or don't know the Lord. And they're not making the connection. It's like the Lord's there, he wants to help you. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Not that you won't have tough times, but he'll be there for you, he'll carry you through them, you know? So verse 30, uh, 31 goes on. So Elijah's repairing this altar of the Lord. He, he took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. That's why he took 12 stones to whom the word of the Lord had come. The Lord, word of the Lord had come to Jacob. And he's saying, Israel shall be your name. So this is, this is Israel's history. These people that are here, this is their history. Okay. So this should have reminded the people that the Lord was the one who made them. He was the one who established them. He redeemed them, and they belonged to him. Yeah, these are great lessons here if they're paying attention. Verse 32, then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Ooh. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of seeds. So this was done in the name of the Lord. And boy, the devil hates that name. Verse 32, he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four water pots, pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. So he was careful to make the sacrifice exactly as the Lord had instructed them to do in the law of Moses. And remember, that sacrifice is a picture of Jesus. And it's extremely important to the Lord that it's done exactly the way he told them to do it for that reason, you know. You don't tamper with the picture of salvation. There are not good results when that happens. So that's why I think we're given the details. He did this exactly right. And he's setting the sacrifice up. But then he tells them pour all this water on the sacrifice and on the wood, which is not what you want to do if you're getting ready to start a campfire, right? Don't put water all over the wood. Uh, verse 34 goes on here. Then he said, do it a second time, add more water. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. 
So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Water, water, water. That's what we want to start the fire, right? So he's making this an impossible situation to prove the overwhelming power of God, the true God of Israel. So verse 36, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. So Elijah very clearly acknowledges this is all of the Lord. This is not of Elijah at all. Elijah very wisely takes no credit for what's about to happen. He simply refers to himself as the servant of the Lord. And we should all be content with that same title. We're just a servant of the Lord, right? Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Now that's the real reason that all of this has been revealed. It's not to show off, show how cool God is. It's not for their entertainment. It's to reach the heart of these people and draw them back to the true God who redeemed them, the one who loves them, the one who wants to have fellowship with them. Wow, that's amazing. And that's truly amazing grace because these people have completely turned their back on God. Wow, it's, it's amazing. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell. Notice where it came from, it fell. It didn't come up from the ground, it came from above. And it consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood, that's wet wood, and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. So there wasn't a drop of water left after the fire of the Lord came. So the Lord left no doubt. You know, he didn't let things smolder a little bit and dry out a little bit and then a little flame start. The Lord, power of the Lord was seen in that he consumed everything, even the stones and the dust and the huge amount of water. So our God can overcome insurmountable obstacles to reveal himself. Never give up on trusting the Lord. Great passage for us here. Somebody said that the false prophets of Baal had a lot of passion here and they had a lot of energy and they did. But what they didn't have was a God in heaven who answered with fire. Notice that the Lord made sure they saw this fire came from above, that this was no earthly fire, this was no coincidence, this was God. And look how, this, how long it took too. The prophets of Baal tried all day to get a response. Elijah's prayer was less than a minute. Woo, that's something. <laughs> it's no wonder we're going to see such a reaction from the people here. Who would you cry out to when you have a desperate need? It would be the true God of Israel after you see this story. Verse 39, now when all the people saw it, they saw that fire come down and just swoop everything up there, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord he is God. The Lord, he is God. And that was his prayer, that you would turn the hearts of these people back to you. 
So after this demonstration, the people easily chose Yahweh over Baal. And for a brief moment, the people responded the right way. But it didn't last very long, unfortunately. It was a very brief revival. But the Lord did get the praise that was due him in this story, even though it was only going to be temporary. Verse 40, Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon, and he executed them there. Isn't it ironic that Jezebel was trying to wipe out all the prophets of the Lord, but the Lord turned things around and destroyed all her false prophets instead? <laughs> the devil loses in the end. <laughs> you know, uh, you read the end of the book there. And all these false prophets, they were simply being dealt with according to the law of Moses. If you want to look back to Deuteronomy 13 for a minute, or I can uh, get there and, and read it to you either way if you want to see this. Uh, there's other places the Lord talks about this, but Deuteronomy 13, verse 4 says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. So this wasn't revenge going on. This was justice. This is exactly what God said should happen to anyone who would dare turn his people away from God and call themselves a prophet in doing so. So back in 1 Kings 18, uh, verse 41, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So it's interesting here that uh, the worship of Baal had come to a halt for a moment here. So Elijah know, knew, okay, now the rain's coming. Remember, the rain was there because of the false worship going on, and God just kind of put a stop to that one for a minute. So now he says, the rain's coming, God's promise is going to be fulfilled. I thought this was kind of funny, too, because somebody said that both these guys were going to do what they like to do. Elijah was going to pray, and Ahab, well, he was going to eat and drink. I mean, <laughs> so you see, they're going to do what they do. So Ahab, it says in verse 42, he went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground, and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up, and he looked, and he said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. So he kept praying and saying, go back. Still nothing. Okay, I'm going to pray some more. Go back, check again. So he had him check him. So Elijah was so persistent in prayer, but he was praying based on the promise of God. Because God had said, I'm going to send rain, back in verse 1. So his prayer is based on a promise, not something he just is pulling out of thin air himself, right? And you know, we can always pray with assurance when we are praying based on a promise from the Lord. If he promises something, just keep praying because God said he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He might want us to pray for a while to appreciate it, but it's going to happen. Okay? Verse 44, then it came to pass the seventh time that he said there is a cloud as small as a man's hand. It's not very big. Rising out of the sea. So he said, here's Elijah giving directions to his servant, go up and say to Ahab, 
Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. <laughs> now that would sound pretty funny in your middle of a drought. <laughs> and he's telling him, it's over, the rain's coming, buddy. <laughs> this verse should be pretty encouraging to us. Based on the promise from God, what appeared to be a small work, somebody said, it was just a small cloud. There wasn't much to be seen, but it was about to become a mighty work of the Lord. Okay? So don't ever think that just because something of the Lord appears to be small, that God can't bring something very powerful and some powerful results from it. Somebody also said, for a man of faith, it only takes a small cloud, as small as a man's hand, to let him know God's answer is on its way. Whew. Now, verse uh, 45 goes on. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind. They hadn't seen that in three years. And there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and he went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So the storm was a supernatural answer to Elijah's prayer and that was based on God's promise. But the Lord wasn't finished yet. Somehow, and for some unknown reason at this point, he gave Elijah a supernatural strength to be able to run ahead of Ahab, who was on his chariot and going, and he was able to get to Jezreel first. Our great God goes way above and beyond for his children. Ephesians 3.20, love this verse in the New Testament, says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that's our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to this world to rescue anybody who would listen to you, Lord, anybody who would turn to you. And Lord, we praise you that you raised Jesus from the dead to prove that you accepted that sacrifice on our behalf. And Lord, we love those words that Jesus said, it is finished when he was on the cross, Lord. We thank you for that, that offer of, of forgiveness you've given to us. We thank you for that perfect sacrifice. Lord, we just give you back the praise for that, and we, we just praise you such an awesome God, Lord, the things you show us in your word, and as you, you reveal yourself to us, we're just so grateful, Lord. Thank you for the day you brought the news to us about Jesus, and thank you for helping us, Lord, just to surrender to you and to say, I need Jesus. So if there's anybody watching, Lord, anybody who needs Jesus, we just ask you to open their heart today to receive you and experience what you can do in a person's life. So, Lord, all glory goes back to you. Thank you for your word of truth. We give you back all the praise in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.